when investors are fearful, that makes the VIX a little higher than it should be. And I'd argue that's the case right now. And it presents an opportunity for the option sellers. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As we enter December, the markets seem to be full of the holiday spirit, but that Grinch volatility is ever lurking. For advisors seeking to navigate the highs and the lows, our experts, Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and your host, Mark Rays, have some creative solutions as they weigh in on covered calls and low vol, and also talk about building defenses against inflation. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Weekly ETF Insight Call for Advisors. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada for ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris works on equity and derivative strategies, while Alfred works on fixed income, and preferred shares. Let's start off with a discussion uh, around ESG, where not only are we seeing increased investor interest, but we're also seeing a clear direction from what we assume is the incoming uh, Biden administration, where the environment is clearly stated to be a priority. So looking at that, how have the ESG ETFs performed and what has been the reception by advisors and their clients? Where, where I find this quite interesting, uh, a lot of the comments I'm receiving are actually coming via the clients themselves where they're, where they're showing a lot of interest in this space. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I, I would say ESG has definitely become a lot more topical, I would say, in the last two years. Uh, ESG has definitely come up in, I would say, 85% of the conversations in, in one form or another, both with retail and institutional clients. But I think you're right. I think when you look at the Biden and Harris administration, which is, you know, the next administration uh, coming into the White House, uh, they've definitely made ESG, uh, you know, they've definitely pushed ESG to the forefront. So I think Biden has kind of stopped short in terms of saying that he supports the Green New Deal. Uh, but when you look at his climate plan, it, it does have a lot of similarities. So when you look at um, you know, what he has allocated to clean energy and infrastructure. He has, you know, $2 trillion dedicated to that space. And then when you look at other things, the U.S. power sector, for example, he wants that to be carbon pollution-free by 2035. And then the broader economy, he wants uh, that to be net zero emissions by uh, 2050. So very similar goals in that respect in terms of the Green New Deal. I think the only difference in, in that respect is being that it's going to be less aggressive in terms of timeline. Um, I think another huge catalyst for the ESG in terms of Biden being voted into the White House, uh, in addition to, you know, obviously his support for environmental and social values and as part of his platform, was the uh, Department of Labor, so the DOL. Uh, they made some tough restrictions in terms of social uh, responsible investing uh, being included in retirement plans like 401k. 
Uh, this was made as a change by the Trump administration uh, that put in some you know, very restrictive language in terms of you know, what, was, what was considered uh, pecuniary. Um, so that was obviously made as a change to protect the fracking industry. Uh, the DOL uh, in recent weeks, I think it was as early or as late as a couple of days ago, they recently removed a lot of the language and removed the terms ESG from the final list, uh, which in my opinion, I think is a huge move for ESG and uh, is a huge catalyst for ESG to be included in uh, things like pension and 401k plans now. So in terms of performance, uh, I would say the performance between ESG and non-ESG mandates is, has roughly been been about equal in, in most uh, cases. I think it's more of a long-term story. Uh, where it has been notable, however, is in Canadian equity. So when you look at ESGA, for example, which is our ESG uh, Canadian equity ETF, it's outperformed the TSX by roughly about 4% uh, since we launched that ETF in, in late January. <clears throat> um, and most of that performance is coming from the uh, energy sector, for example. Uh, I think ESG screened out a lot of these smaller cap names, uh, which are down 50 to 60% in many cases, and, and it does overweight a lot of the technology space as well. So when you look at you know, names like Connexus and, and Open Text, uh, they're up 50 to 70% since late January. So you know, that's been beneficial for performance. In the bond space, it's been less evident. Uh, when you look at ESGF uh, versus ZMU, for example, which is you know, ESG U.S. corporate bond ETF versus the you know, more plain vanilla uh, U.S. corporate bond ETF, it's been roughly about equal, equal. Uh, but as you know, as I said, I think ESG is a it's more of a longer term story where I don't think you're going to see a performance difference necessarily in the next year or two. But I think during this administration, uh, changes will definitely be be made to make uh, make it more punitive for companies that do not comply to ESG standards. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. Good to hear that those ETFs are continuing to perform well, and certainly in Canada with a with a resource-dependent um, market, I think that clearly makes sense this year. So certainly a lot of interest in that space. Now let's uh, change gears. We've been seeing a lot more volatility in markets again through November. Uh, we've also got markets challenging new highs while we're still dealing with, of course, the economic and the, and the health risks from the COVID shutdowns. So, Chris, over to you. How is this being reflected in the options market? Can you give us an update on the covered call strategies and also uh, provide a covered call ETF ticker that you're favoring right now? Thanks. Uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Mark. So, yeah, the TFX here in Canada is challenging. It's a little high. Uh, the S&P 500 is, is well well uh, through its old high. It's, it's actually, a, you know, it's had an all-time high. Right now, so, you know, obviously a very good recovery. You know, the first metric we look at is the VIX. You know, the VIX is a metric based on option pricing that you know, shows, um, you know, it's a, sometimes called a fear gauge in the market. So VIX is at 21%, and that's about double pre-COVID highs. So pre-COVID, we were kind of in the 10 to, 10 to 12 range. So it's almost a, it's almost a double um, which shows that there's still a lot of investor concern and fear out there about market levels. The one thing that really has a lot of impact into the VIX is the demand for puts. So when investors demand to buy puts or, to, you know, essentially equity insurance, that can bid up the prices of options um, and, 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 and correspondingly increase that level of the VIX. So, you know, what the opportunity becomes is, you know, perhaps, you know, and what usually happens is, 
when investors are fearful, you know, that, that makes the VIX a little higher than it should be. And I'd argue that's the case right now. And it presents an opportunity for the option sellers. So, you know, what we're doing in our covered call funds is really uh, monetizing a really good income level um, with volatility elevated and still being pretty, uh, pretty decently far out of the money uh, relative to, to pre-COVID levels. So it gives the investors an opportunity to you know, participate very well in equity growth. And then you're, um, you know, increasing your income, you know, depending on the strategy from anywhere to, you know, three to 5% in terms of an extra income stream, which is definitely, um, definitely attractive in this market. So, you know, I think given, yes, I mean, for sure, there's, 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 there's huge concerns with COVID and everything. I think, you know, the one saving grace this year looks like it's continuing to be one is government stimulus. You know, that has been, um, significant, um, unprecedented, you know, whether it's monetary or fiscal. And we just saw the Trudeau government here in Canada uh, earlier this week on Monday kind of commit to just, you know, record-breaking amounts of stimulus to continue to get the economy back on its feet. So um, so I think the backdrop is good for equities, and it's certainly good for public policy to continue to monetize. Now, in, in terms of a, a pick right now, I would, um, you know, I would look at our high-dividend covered call suite and so, you know, instead of giving you one ticker, I can, you know, give you four, Mark, if that works for you. So, you know, depending on the region that you want to play in, I think they're all attractive. There's ZWC, there's Canada, ZWH in the U.S., ZWE um, in Europe, opting for hedged on that one. And then we have the ZWG, uh, our latest one, which is global, and also ESG-focused, I'd add. You know, I think, you know, you look at dividends, they've underperformed. Uh, this year, but, you know, as we're kind of kicking a few steps into the recovery trade, you know, the, the real reopening trade over the last couple of months with this vaccine news, you've seen dividends um, start to outperform. So I think, you know, the under, you know, these, these four um, ETFs all have like a broadly diversified dividend-based strategy. I think it's looking pretty good for dividends over the next 12 months. And, um, and then you add into the, the um, you know, that ability to, to increase income with a cover call overlay, you know, in this, this volatility backdrop, I think is pretty attractive. So those would be, um, you know, my picks for ones to look at right now in the cover call space. All right, Chris, I'll let you off the hook. I was looking for one. You went with a suite, but uh, certainly there's the opportunity there, I think, uh, for those strategies to really have a bounce back as we see value in dividends perhaps rebound a bit as well. So, Chris, let's stay with you, and we'll check in on low volatility, which we've talked about as part of our defensive growth story, uh, although clearly we've been keeping the focus on, on the quality ETS. What's your outlook for low volatility heading into 2021, uh, considering the strategies have, have faced some challenges in 2020 um, compared to, let's say, something like quality? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, certainly the past, um, you know, eight months coming off the market lows have not been a, a market conducive to, to, to low volatility. Um, you know, what are banks up now? 60 plus percent and the market's up, um, you know, well, the TSX is up from 11,000 to over 17,000 points. So, uh, yeah, that's not, not typically a low ball market. You know, if we run through them, uh, the ZLB, which is our Canadian strategy and kind of like, you know, our headline, I would say, lowball strategy. Um, it's actually been oscillating with keeping up with the market. So as of right now, it's down about 2% here to date, up about 25 versus 45 for the index. Um, 
but at, you know, in recent months, it's really been oscillating with, with kind of keeping up with the market, which I think is a good sign. Um, one thing in Canada, you tied to Shopify has have been such a huge uh, impact on the index this year. And, and so that's actually, you know, owning Shopify has given you a 4% bonus if you own the index in Canada, um, you know, 4% contribution just from Shopify alone. Uh, where you've seen mobile continue to shine through, however, though, is still in that energy call. So it's our mobile tends to be, you know, all the mobiles tend to be underweight energy and materials. And, um, you know, that's certainly paid off in Canada, you know, like similar to Alfred's comments on the ESG Canada strategy. So the underweight of energy is contributed about 5% to, to ZLB uh, performance. So, you know, one thing you see is, you know, that, that I find interesting is that, you know, ZLB is still a second quartile fund this year, even though it's underperforming the index by 2%. So it shows you what a challenging market candidate is for um, active investors. Um, if you look at U.S. and internationally, um, it's a little bit of a different story. The U.S. has almost been exclusively driven by tech. Our lowball doesn't own any tech. So it's obviously, um, you know, you're going to have a tough time keeping up with the market this year. And certainly, you know, it's fair to say the lowball in the U.S. Has, has had a tough time doing that with tech. You know, tech really outperformed in the rally as well as in the sell-off and, and certainly in the rally again um, since, since March. So, you know, the way I look at uh, mobile, you know, I think, you know, I, I think net-net, I think the consensus um, that I see is the reopening trade to continue to play out over the next year. You know, I do think that could pose some challenges for mobile from a performance um, aspect. But I think what investors need to um, think about is, you know, what are their goals? And, you know, I think depending on your goal, you know, that might, you know, it's obviously going to suggest different portfolios. So if the goal is to say outperform the S&P, you know, I might recommend a quality and a dividend-based approach if it was a simply a performance-oriented goal. Um, but, you know, a lot of investors don't have those goals. If the goal is, you know, simply to you know, participate in equity growth, but lower your risk profile, you know, have some more uh, defensive protection should markets fall off, you know, I'd still say that quality and mobile is a good mix. Because an investor, you know, like that, and sometimes we think of, uh, you know, retiree investors or pre-retirees, you know, lowball makes a good, makes a lot of sense for them. You know, it helps you protect that nest egg. So I think, um, you know, when you're looking at lowball, you want to kind of ascertain what your goals are. And, and um, you know, lowball utility ETFs do have a you know, really good history of defending, um, defending capital during adverse market movements. So, um, so, so as an investor, you have to ask yourself, what does that mean uh, for you? Do you have a total return kind of, you know, equity-oriented approach, or do you want to, you know, kind of, you know, have some built-in hedges there? And that's what I think Lowell can provide for you. So, um, sorry, maybe sitting on the fence again a little bit there, Mark, but I do think investors need to look at, uh, you know, what their goals are, and, and, and depending on those goals, I think Lowell still can work really well for them. And I continue to say, you know, ZLB, I think Shopify is. You know, that's a bit of a, um, you know, unique story to this year, that one that's not likely to repeat, um, you know, again. So, you know, I, I think ZLB has such a strong track record in Canada. I'd continue to lean on that one. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO Games product suite. Tune in to episode number 43 in this same podcast series. It's all about tax loss harvesting strategies and learn more about how to leverage underperformance for higher net returns. 
let's touch in on another topic where we've been getting uh, a lot of questions coming in, which has been inflation. Uh, it hasn't become an issue yet, but I'd say it is on advisors' minds, uh, considering the stimulus that is out there. Uh, you mentioned, Chris, earlier, Canada coming out with a new announcement in anticipation of Biden uh, making a pretty big splash as well. Uh, you know, as well, central banks don't appear to be as adverse to inflation as they had been in the past either. So looking at our lineup, how can you play uh, inflation? And as well, can you comment on your views on inflation heading into 2021? Thanks. Sure, uh, I could take that one. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think when you're um, looking at inflation right now, I, I think it's not a pressing concern for a lot of people, but I think it's definitely something that you know advisors should be thinking about. So when you look at you know U.S. tips, for example, it's up 8.3% since the market bottomed in uh, late March. Whereas when you look at U.S. Treasuries, it's you know for the full term, it's it's roughly been about flat. And then when you look at other inflationary assets like gold, uh, gold is up you know roughly 20% on the year, even though it's had a recent pullback in the last month and a half. But so I think you raise a good point in terms of, you know, central banks being less concerned about inflation right now. Uh, the Fed, as we all know, changed their inflationary policy in, during the summer, uh, where they're now less uh, focused on short-term inflation. So, you know, as we all know, if you don't keep uh, short-term inflation in check, uh, similar to how we saw in the 1970s, uh, it could quickly get out of hand. And, you know, when you look back at uh, the 1970s, one of the causes for inflation getting out of hand was uh, turbulent short-term inflation. So I think you know, potentially we are setting up for that. Uh, in addition to that, I think, you know, when you look at uh, the current economic backdrop, uh, another potential sign for inflation, you have, you know, massive balance sheet expansion by the central banks uh, due to COVID. Uh, you also have a supply chain disruption. So you have a lot of, you know, a lot less supply. Uh, so demand has been relatively low right now, but potentially down the road, you know, that picks up. Uh, one thing I'm concerned about as well is that, you know, if you look at suppliers and potentially, you know, over the next four months before the general population gets vaccinated, uh, you potentially have a lot of suppliers or some suppliers going out of business. So uh, the remaining survivors, you know, they do have some survivorship bias where you know, the remaining uh, the remaining suppliers, they're going to have all the pricing power in the world. Uh, so when you do have an economic reopening and when demand starts to pick up, uh, you do have the potential, you know, large imbalance between supply and demand. So that potentially does uh, push prices up. So overall, you know, I think when you look at the velocity of money, which is the, the rate at which money changes hands, um, you know, you saw the velocity of money really take a steep decline in the second quarter. But when you look at uh, that rate at which money is changing hands now, it's reaccelerated in Q3, which I think potentially sets up for uh, inflation. So in terms of ETFs, that potential uh, potential ways of playing inflation. So I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Chris and in naming maybe a potential suite of ETFs. Uh, but I think, you know, gold stocks, it's a good way to play potential inflation. Uh, in an inflationary environment, gold stocks perform well. Uh, gold stocks have uh, faced some headwinds over the last couple of weeks just because I think a lot of people have been selling gold uh, due to, you know, less macroeconomic risk because of that vaccine news. So ZGD and ZJG, which is our gold stocks ETF, uh, ZGD being more focused on the seniors and ZJG being more focused on the juniors, uh, I think that's a good way. Uh, ZTR, which is our Canadian preferred share ETF, is a good way as well. Uh, because of the rate resets, uh, preferred shares 
uh, in a rising interest rate environment, that's another good way to hedge potential inflation down the road as well. Um, Debt RR, which we did uh, highlight, I think, one of the calls in the fall, uh, a good way to uh, hedge against inflation as well, using real return bonds. They do have longer duration, so I would use this more as, you know, as a substitute for uh, long federal bonds, for example. So it's a good way to hedge uh, potential equity market risk, but you get the benefit of protecting against inflation as well. Um, U.S. tips is another way I'd recommend as well. Uh, one thing I would note is that I would avoid the longer-term U.S. tips, given that they are longer duration. So if you do have the potential yield curve steepening, you probably want to avoid the longer-term uh, tips. Uh, but I think at this point, I think it's, it's very important to protect against rising interest rates. So even if we don't get inflation, uh, potentially what we do see further down the road is that if you do get an economic reopening, what we're going to see is you're going to see this great rotation in the stocks, which forces bond yields higher. So I think that alone is a good reason to you know, have assets that protect against rising interest rates. But you know, what, I, what I thought was pretty interesting earlier this week is you know, Jerome Powell, uh, who is the Fed chief, uh, he basically was trying to rein in the optimism for vaccines. And I think this was a move just to basically flatten the yield curve. Um, obviously, uh, he wants uh, you know, lower yields across the curve because for a funding perspective, lower yields across the curve is going to reduce its funding costs for uh, issuing U.S. Treasuries. Um, but I think overall, I think this comment was made to you know, verbally kind of flatten the yield curve because I think you know, down the road, I think what he's, what he's saving is you know, uh, a change in policy such as Operation Twist, which potentially is coming down the road in the next couple of months. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Uh, a good walk around on thoughts on inflation and as well uh, how you can how you can play it against our suite. I think the gold trade is certainly the most interesting considering, uh, you know, how gold has consolidated over the last few months could be uh, could be primed to go on another run. So with that, I would like to check if there are any questions on the on the line for either Chris or Alfred. Hey guys, I do have a question here for uh, one of the PMs. My question's about uh, ESG. Um, obviously, we're hearing a lot about it in the news, the big pension funds. Curious how the, the big pension funds are incorporating SRI, ESG into their or into their process. And then if they are out there buying sort of these securities, is, is there ever the risk that these big players that there ends up being a lot of money chasing a smaller theme. I'd love to hear your comments on that. Thanks very much. Sure, uh, I can take this one. So um, definitely see a lot of institutions getting more involved in ESG. Um, I think institutions have been adopting ESG in, in two main ways, I would say. Uh, one, they're you know dedicating a portion of their mandates to ESG investing. Uh, the other way is the, uh, through activist investing. So they're, they've been getting on uh, getting on boards uh, and affecting change that way. Um, for fund companies, they've been supporting ESG uh, through you know issuing products, also focusing on education as well. Uh, they've been less active on the activist front. Uh, one thing I will note is that uh, BMO GAM has been more active in terms of uh, supporting ESG mandates through things like proxy voting. Uh, so we have been active in, in that way. Um, so that, that applies to all of our funds, not just uh, the ESG mandates, but all of our ETFs and, and user funds as well. Um, but portfolio managers, they've been supporting ESG through uh, you know, using ESG products overall. So uh, 
different investors have been supporting ESG in many different ways. Um, but I think overall, uh, we do see a trend towards uh, ESG overall. And just, just to directly answer that concentration comment, uh, if, you, if you look at our ESG ETFs under the MSCI leaders indexes, they're capturing 50% of the market cap of, of the underlying market. Uh, so there's deliberately um, diverse and liquid. So you're not going to run into the significant concentration concerns that you might have uh, under under other strategies. So deliberately, they're, they're broad index-based approaches. Hello, gentlemen. Um, since the you know the announcement of several potential vaccines for COVID, uh, we've seen kind of a change in the market, where the dividend factor, the value factor, has been giving you know a great return uh, since then. What's your view about it? Is it something that we should combine with quality investing with the index? What's your view right now about investing in dividend and value? And is there one style you do prefer? Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for the question. So, yeah, we were, we've been talking about that on and off. I, you know, my, my kind of sense was, and I think I used the, uh, the word that's, you know, um, when we got that first big vaccine news out of Pfizer, and we saw that huge rotation that Monday in the market, you know, not just the market up, but also a rotation, as you said, towards dividend and value and away from momentum is, you know, to me, that was a beacon, I thought, of where the market's going. So, you know, I do think, um, you know, and then we've kind of continued to see that with the Moderna vaccine and the, um, you know, the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, you know, I think, I, I do think it's where we're going eventually. Um, it's going to obviously be a bumpy way to get there. Um, dividends have a lot of ground to make up, uh, as do value. Um, you know, I think dividends are, you know, are, I, I think both are, you know, there's, there's a high correlation between the two. So it's, it's hard to differentiate. I think it depends on, you know, as an investor, do you have that income goal? You know, do you, do you, do you care about yield? And if you do, you might, you might gravitate a little more to the dividends and, and to the cover call dividends, uh, perhaps. But um, yes, I think it's, it's definitely um, something that's happening in the market. And, and just to go back to my comments about the, you know, the low volatility and placing that in your portfolio, I think you have to go back as an investor, say, what are, what are your goals? And I, you know, like I said, I think if you have an outperformance goal, I think dividend is something definitely to consider to, you know, and, and I would keep the quality regardless, but, um, you know, I would say, you know, if you, if you want to just simply outperform, you know, quality and dividend or quality dividend, maybe some small caps, those are tools that are going to give you that ability to outperform. I think in this market where we're seeing, you know, the opening trades, you know, if you have other goals, like you want to obviously participate in equity growth, but also have more defensiveness, um, you know, for any reason, you know, then, then that might be a different portfolio. But yes, I, I do think um, dividends are looking good right now um, as we're starting to finally see some, um, you know, positive news on the vaccine front. Hi there. Um, I have a question with respect to uh, banks, especially since it's now um, uh, earning season. Uh, it's a two-part question. Firstly, uh, what do you expect to see? And uh, do you see any surprises coming down the pipelines? And as well, the second part is um, now that we're in our second lockdown and um, we see a second wave coming through with COVID-19, uh, um, we're expecting to see greater increase in bankruptcies and such and financial hardships. So going into 2021, um, how, how do you see banks preparing for this? Uh, any other tools that they could use to, uh, I guess, leverage? Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks for the question. Maybe I'll start with this. And uh, we have seen four four of the six big banks in Canada have reported. And um, you know, I think it's very consistent with with you know kind of the way the you know the way the way you asked the question. Um, so you know, at the, at the high level, things are very good right now. And so if you look at those four banks that reported, BMO, Scotia, Royal, and, and National Bank, you, what you had was um, you know, very tidy earning beats. Um, you saw much lower provision. Uh, for losses unexpected. Um, you saw, you know, really good expense control, really good capitalization, still still some like um, very good capital markets trading numbers. So, you know, overall, very, very, you know, positive, a very good quarter for the banks so far. And so we expect that trend to, to continue with the last two to report. Um, but, uh, you know, if there is a warning, you know, some of them have, you know, talked about 2021, you know, as a warning. And some analysts have said, you know, are these provisions for losses kind of being, kick down the road until then. So that's something the market's watching, but, you know, I do fall back on, you know, the stimulus that the government's providing. Um, you know, I don't have the number from, from Justin Trudeau, what he announced on Monday, but it was, you know, it was historic, um, tens of billions of dollars. So that's going to help the overall economy. It's going to help the credit profile of banks. There's no doubt. It will directly help the credit profile of banks. So, you know, while there's obviously some concern certainly, um, you know, navigating, you know, the next 12 months and getting the economy going again. Um, we are seeing a commitment to to help business and help the economy from, from the government. So that's, so that's good. So I think overall, you're, you're looking at the banks so far. It's a very good, it's a very good quarter. Um, continuing to, um, you know, have very strong fundamental numbers. Uh, they're still yielding about four and a half percent. So uh, things are looking good, and you know I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to navigate the challenges of 2021, and hopefully make it a better year than uh, 2020 in terms of you know some of those challenges. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us this morning. We certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for the questions as well. Uh, Chris and Alfred, thanks for your insights. Appreciate you covering. Uh, the, the market as you did, some of your trade ideas on ETFs, uh, lots of good points that we can bring back to our own conversations. So with that, I'd like to wish everyone a great day. Thank you once again for joining. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today's episode is a great reminder that there are prudent opportunities to invest even and especially when there's fear in the market. In the current environment, our experts favor covered calls, tickers ZWC or ZWH, to monetize volatility. Longer term, facing the fear of inflation, consider gold, tickers ZGD or ZJG. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.